And last night, we, in our first, um, in this little series on the abomination of desolation, we recognized that Daniel himself was in captivity because of the abominations that had been done and been entered into by the children of Israel. We looked at those abominations and we studied them in the book of Kings, in the book of Chronicles, and we found that the crowning abomination that brought the desolation was actually Sabbath desecration. And it was a result of that that they had to go into captivity for 70 years. Well, let's just ask the Lord to bless us here before we look further now in our second uh, segment. Let's just pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you this morning that we can come and we can worship you on this Sabbath day. And uh, whether we're here on location or joining online, we ask that your spirit would be with us, that we could understand more about this important phrase. We come in Christ's name. Amen. So, why are we talking about the abomination of desolation? As we looked, uh, been looking at what's happening in the world around us, it's almost as if the events that are talked about in Matthew chapter 24 are all coming to remembrance. Um, you know, we have racial unrest. And like Matthew 24 says, nation will rise against nation. And of course, that word is ethnos, ethnic group rising against ethnic group. And we see that happening. And uh, we talked about that in several messages, Samaritan Lives Matter, looking how Jesus dealt with racial tension and how important it was. Then we have a time of pestilence, Matthew 24, 7 again. And of course, pestilences have been seen throughout history, but perhaps nothing <laughs> in terms of knowledge at the same time uh, like COVID-19. And not only is there a pandemic of COVID-19, there's a pandemic of fear, misunderstanding, and politicization of COVID-19. We have studies that come out that say, this medication is wrong, and this person that's talking about it is wrong. And then studies come out and say, wait a minute, this medication is right, not because that person talked about it, but because now we have a scientific study. People are getting confused, and so there's a pandemic also of uncertainty and confusion. It says in Matthew 24, 9, there'd be a time of, of, of when people would be offended. People would be offended about if you talk to them about their past. They'd be offended about the present or about the future. <laughs> and we certainly see that. Children turning against parents and parents against children and backed by the government sometimes to do that. Politicians and the appointees that they put on the Supreme Court <laughs> not doing what they think they should do. And so we have a time of betrayal, depending on how you're talking to. A time of false dreams and false prophets. I received emails from a number of people giving, showing me a dream. Is this a true dream? Is this a false dream? How can I tell the difference? And then false prophets. People saying that, um, that judgments will come on certain cities at a specific time um, in July based on prophetic scenarios, taking out large newspaper ads. And so false prophets, why do I say false prophets? This individual has done this like three or four times before and now it's doing it again. And we had a whole message on that, time no more, how to relate to the time prophecies uh, last um, week. So look up that if you'd like more on that. And then a time of abounding lawlessness where the high court of this land is passing laws or interpretations of laws that go against more and more of the Ten Commandments. Lawlessness abounding. Now, this is a country that um, actually is supposed to be pluralistic. And so um, people are okay to have any belief they'd like or no belief. Freedom for religion or for no religion. 
Um, and yet, when the high court is passing those laws, it will make it potentially harder for those who want to live by God's law to do so. Lawlessness abounding. And then last night we looked at that next phrase in Matthew 24. After all, the next phrase, and this gospel's of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world as a witness. And then the end will come. And, and the verse before that, he endures to the end, shall be saved. So after all these signs, there's also concurrently a sign of the end is the gospel being not only preached, but lived. Preached as a witness. So preaching is a little bit different than witnessing. <laughs> and a witness is someone who's actually transformed by the gospel. And I believe there's must be many people that are in that category or they're going to come to be seen as this sign is also mentioned in Matthew 24. So then we looked at the abomination of desolation in Daniel's time. Why was it he was taken captive? And now we want to continue to the second installment of the abomination of desolation. So, once again, look with me in Matthew chapter 24, just to orient ourselves. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, or about them, said in chapter 23, verse 1, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. So they're the exact opposite of people who are only transformed by the gospel, right? This gospel king must be preached as a witness. And he's saying, yeah, they're preaching, but they're not living up to it. And these are the scribes and the Pharisees. And we're going to see later, it's the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians who all get together against Jesus. And they actually uh, will look at that more fully. It's part of the abomination of desolation. So after he goes through talking about all the things that they should be um, not doing the abominations in chapter 23. He announces the fact, verse 38, that your house is left unto you desolate. And then he actually makes it explicit. He says, you see the temple? Verse 2 of chapter 24. I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Your temple is going to be desolated. Uh, where did he get this idea? Well, it tells us in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So where in Daniel is that? Look back with me in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And we'll look there in verse 24. Remember, they had been in captivity for 70 years. We talked about this last night because they had been, because of the uh, you know, abominations and they were, their city was desolated and they were taken to Babylon. Now, fast forward 483 years and they're back now in their temple. They're back in Jerusalem. Everything's been rebuilt. Um, and it's not the same as Solomon's temple. They never could match that architecturally. But this would be a more glorious temple because Haggai chapter 2 says the desire of nations would come into it. The desire of all the ages would come into this temple. And he's coming into this temple. And this is described in this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And you can see it right there in verse 24. Seventy weeks are Shatak, or cut off from your people in your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now who 
who alone could finish transgression, make an end of sins, bring reconciliation for iniquity, bring an everlasting righteousness. Who alone can do that? Only Jesus, right? To seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So what he's saying is, after the 70 weeks or after this 490 years, I will come at, at that last week of the prophecy. I will enter into the temple. I'll be baptized. I'll actually go into the temple. Uh, and, and, and that's the picture that's given. Now, God's prophecies and promises are alike conditional, we're told, right? We're told by the pen of inspiration that had they accepted Jesus, Jerusalem would have never been destroyed. And yet, the prophecy indicates that when Jesus came, there was a problem. Look with me just for a moment in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, verse 41. Now when he drew near... Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, and then these telling words, because what? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, how could they have known the time of the visitation? The prophecy we're reading in Daniel 9. But they were not paying attention to the prophecy, and they had different ideas about who the Messiah would be, Someone who would agree with their abominations <laughs> and their idea about nations. And so, um, let's go back to the prophecy and see what it said. After the 70 weeks are determined, or in other words, after the uh, 490 years come to an end, they are to finish their transgressions and all these things. Well, how do they figure this out? Verse 25. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the preach prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, a total of 69 weeks. And the street will be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So, in other words, their temple, which had been desolated and now they were coming out of it. He was saying it's going to be rebuilt. It'll be in troublesome times. It took about 49 years. And the street was rebuilt, and the wall, in troublesome times, it was rebuilt. And Messiah the Prince would come. Messiah the Prince, the Anointed One, the Nagid, Mashiach Nagid, the Anointed One would come after 69 weeks. So... Fast forward from the beginning of the prophecy. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command was in 457. Go from 457, 483 years later is 69 weeks. 7 times 7 is 49. But we're not quite to that 490. We're 483. And what happened in 27 AD? Jesus comes and he is anointed in 27 AD. Now, how do they know he's the Messiah? Not just because of his baptism. People were baptized every day in that time. Every time you went to the temple, you were baptized. Every single time. You went down into a pool, you came out of a pool. You got baptized many times. And in fact, at your own house, you had what was called a mikvah bath. You'd go down and up if you were rich. Well, how do they know that Jesus was the Messiah? Because he went about, Acts chapter 10, verse 37, doing good and healing all manner of sickness and disease. And Luke chapter 4, verse 17, he also said <laughs> um, that this is the acceptable year of the Lord and the captives will be let go and the blind will recover their sight. 
And then he started to do that. For three and a half years, he went about healing. And they knew that he was the Messiah. Right? How many of you are with me? They knew that he was the Messiah. But they resisted heaven's grace, abused their privileges, slighted their opportunities. And John 1.11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Even though he was going about and doing good, even though he was healing. By the way, in the Old Testament, how many miracles were there in the Old Testament? And how many miracles are there in the New Testament? I'm talking about, I mean, there are many miracles in the Old Testament, like the Exodus and those kind of things. But specific miracles where one individual, like, heals someone else or these kind of things. Not very many. Less than ten. Some people say six. They're looking at Elisha, Elijah. Not very many. But when Jesus comes, what happens there in Bethsaida and Capernaum and these areas where he is, Chorazin? He does 39 miracles. (laughs) 39 dramatic miracles. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. The recovery of the sight to the blind. And people are saying, this is it. (laughs) He's feeding the 5,000. Yet, he was despised and rejected, Isaiah 53 says. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not, Isaiah 53 says. Now look with me at how the prophets described the abominations that would happen in Israel that would lead to its desolation. Go back with me in Micah. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So let's go back there. Micah. A marvelous book, which I read through again this week. And here in Micah, a book which foretells the coming of the Messiah. In chapter 5, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And it talks about how the Messiah would come. But then it says something else, chapter 3. Truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel her sin. So Micah is saying, all right, I'm telling you that the Messiah is going to come, but let me tell you the problems that you have. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity. So they abhor it and they pervert it. Who build up Zion with bloodshed. So here they are, shedding people's blood. In fact, Jesus says, from Abel to Zechariah, you, you killed the prophets. You shed blood of the prophets. Remember that in Matthew chapter 23? He's like saying, from A to Z you did this. From Abel to Zechariah. Have you ever seen those books, A to Z books? And that's what he's saying. And Mike is saying the same thing. Her heads, verse 11, judge for a bribe. So the judicial system was for sale. Her priests, her priests teach for pay. Oh yeah, we'll give you an extra sermon, but it's going to cost you more money. We'll study the Bible with you, but we need a little more funding. By the way, I'm always nervous when somebody working for the church (laughs) is more interested in their pay than their work for the church. It's always a red flag. I remember my grandfather lost his job as a minister during the Depression in the 1930s. He didn't have any work. He had to go, no church. They wouldn't pay him any more tithe. So I asked him, what did you do? He said, well, <laughs> I'm a minister. I just kept working, 
But all I had to do was go canvassing. And I would sell enough books to afford to be a minister. And pretty soon, God blessed my ministry. My church filled up. And they started paying me tithe again. (laughs) That's the right attitude. But here in this particular passage, her priest teaches for pay. How much vacation time do I get? What are my benefits? This was never a question with a true minister of the gospel. But this is what was happening. And her prophets divine for money. So now here they are. Look, I'll give you a prophecy. It'll cost you some money. But what kind of prophecy do you want? And you remember how Nebuchadnezzar did not like that. He was surrounded by false religious instructors, and he finally said, I know you're liars. <laughs> and he began to kill them until Daniel came to their rescue. Yet they, now notice this, verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. So it's like saying, look, we have the truth. Our church teaches the truth. We preach the truth. And because we have the truth, we're never going to be able to be judged. No, nothing bad can happen. Even though we do all bad, nothing can happen. Now, this is an abomination. How many can see this? These are the abominations that were done. And notice the prophecy then. Because of those abominations, notice what the prediction was. Verse 12. Therefore, because of you, because of who? The leadership of the church that are apostate. Because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple, that's the sanctuary, like the bare hills of the forest. Why? Because the abomination is within the holy place. Let the reader understand, says Matthew, as he points to the book of Daniel. How many of you are following me? The abomination of desolation spoken of by who? Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And Micah says, let the reader understand as well. This is my prophecy going forward. So while I like how great controversy page 27 says this about these leaders, while claiming to observe rigidly the precepts of God's law, they were transgressing all of its principles. So they were legalists. They had come out of Babylon and they had come back to Israel, and when they got back, they were very afraid. They didn't want to go captive to Babylon again. So they said, we're going to keep the law, and then we're going to add laws around those laws to make sure we keep the law. So they had laws on top of laws, and they began to multiply the laws. And this is always dangerous. This is a form of abomination when this happens, okay? It's abomination that will lead to desolation. You think about it. Satan said to Eve, I was talking to someone on the trails the other day about this. Satan said to Eve, <laughs> you know, you touched it. You touched the fruit. So you're toast. God didn't say anything about touching. He said about eating it. But the devil convinced her there was an additional law. <laughs> and it helped to suck her in. So when we add additional tests that are not tests, we're in trouble. And if we think our law, our law keeping even saves us, we're in trouble. Because righteousness belongs to you, but to us, sin, shame of face, mercy belongs to you. In other words, it's only Christ's righteousness that saves us, imputed and then imparted. He is as much responsible for our sanctification as he is for our justification. We have no credit to take for either. And only by saying that and understanding that do we give him glory. Glorification, right? How many were with me on this? So, um, they were adding these abominations upon abominations. Let's just look at some of them. 
Go back to Matthew now. Verse chapter 23. They sit in Moses' seat, but don't, don't do what they, don't, don't do according to their works. Listen to them. But what do they do? Verse 4. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves do not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So they, they wore these little boxes called phylacteries. A phylactery was a little box, and inside the box they put the scriptures. So it said in Deuteronomy that you should, <laughs> you should talk about the scriptures when you rise up and when you sit down to your kids, and they should be as like frontlets between your eyes. I meant to memorize it, but they said, no, that's, that means a box. So they put a box, and they put the scriptures in the box, and then they strapped it to their head. And they still do that today. These are phylacteries. And they, the larger the phylacteries, the better. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. The borders of their garments were blue. And that means they're in the law. They're walking within the law of God. And look, you can see, I have a huge box on my head. They love to be in the best places at the feast, the best seats of the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your father, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And don't let anyone on earth call you father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Are there any religious groups today that are called father? Whenever this is happening, it's an abomination. <laughs> Do not be called teachers, for one is the teacher of the Christ, and he who is greatest among you will be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, and therefore you will receive greater condemnation. So here they were stealing the money from widows and all the time making long prayers, not taking care of the Samaritan. They'd pass by the other side. Samaritan lives didn't matter to them. Woe to you, verse 15, Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So you get him into this legalistic idea. You get him into a hypercritical spirit with everybody. And this kind of religion is the opposite of what we studied last night, but it is just as abominable. Last night we talked about perversity, immorality, and all those different things, right? How many think that's bad? It's bad. But this is bad too. It's an abomination. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. So motivated by money rather than true worship. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold of the temple or that which sanctifies the gold? Or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by a gift, he's obliged to perform it. So they're motivated by pecuniary interests. They're motivated by money. Fools and blind. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, verse 23, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You told me, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord desire of you but to love justice and to do mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. He's quoting from Micah. Just where I showed you the list of abominations. And he's saying, just as Micah said, you are actually living out those abominations. Can you see the connection there? He's quoting from Micah. Blind guides who strain out a net and small a camel. In the literal language, that's, you would say, Gamal, Gamal. Can you say that with me today? Gamal, Gamal. Gamal was a gnat. 
and a Kamal was a camel. It was kind of a play on words. He wanted them to remember it. Gamal Kamal. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Another place, why is it that you're an ophthalmologist when you have a beam coming out of your head? Why are you trying to do surgery on other people when you have a log? I always thought that was funny as a little boy. Going to see the eye doctor, the doctor comes in with a log and says, I'd like to check your vision. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you cleanse the outside, but inside, outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup, and the outside will also be clean. 27, you look beautiful outside, but inwardly, what are you, verse 28, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So here they are, lawless, while expanding laws. (laughs) So let me say it kindly. You can have abominations on the left, and you can have abominations on the right. You can have abominations among the progressives, and you can have abominations among the conservatives. How many of you are following me? And this is what Jesus is saying. You want to have the real meal deal. You need to be truly converted. And he's saying you have these all the abominations. You, you murdered the prophets. And then he says, 33, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? <laughs> you know Jesus is going to get killed soon after saying something like that. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of, there it is, righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, A to Z, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. And I surely, I say to you, all of these things will come on this generation. So those are the abominations. And then here comes the promise of, of desolation, just like we saw in Luke. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How I wanted to gather you. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left unto you desolate. Just like we saw, just like we saw, the reason Daniel had to go and the others had, were taken captive was because the nation was desolate or abominable, so they had to go into desolation. And now Jerusalem itself, the leaders are what? They're abominable. And Jesus is saying, the desolation is coming upon you. Now, where is that in the book of Daniel? Go back with me and see the prophecy. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Let's look at it and I'll show it to you right in the text. So, this decree came to rebuild the temple. And then what's it say? Until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street built again in troublesome times. Now look at verse 26a that goes with 26b. Or 26a goes with 27a. And 26b goes with 27b. They're kind of linked. And after the 20. 62, rather, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And look at 27, the first part. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So what happens to Jesus? He comes to his own, his own receive him not, and finally he is killed in the middle of the week. (laughs) He's cut off, right? Now, I want to come back to that. What was it that finally led to his death? We're going to see what finally led to his death. But let's go on and see what happens after his death. Chapter Chapter 9, verse 26, the last part. And the people of the prince who is to come. Who are the people of the prince who is to come? Daniel's speaking here. And who is the prince that was to come? What does it say in verse 25? Messiah the prince. So he is the prince who is to come. Same word, Nagid. The people of the prince who is to come. So who are those people? 
They're God's people. They're the Jewish people, right? They're the Jewish nation. So the people of the princes to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So as a result of their abominations, what happens? It leads to a desolation, and it's prophesied right there. How many can see it? When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And then look at the end of verse 27. Jesus dies. He brings an end to sacrifice and offering. And then what happens after his death? And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What did Jesus say to his people? Your house is left unto you desolate. And then he says, desolations will come upon you because you're desolate. And the one who brought those desolations was none other than Titus in AD 70. How many can see that? How many see the connection between the abomination and the desolation? Can you see that? And it was prophesied. Now, what did I say I was going to talk about now? What was it that really pulled the trigger in terms of specific things that led to Christ's death? Look with me in Mark chapter 1, and I want to show you a sequence of things that led to his death. Mark chapter 1. What was, by the way, let me ask you a question before I show you this. What was the key abomination that led to desolation when we looked in our first message? What was the, the, the key abomination that led to desolation? What was it? Sin. sin. What kind of sin? Sunday worship, Sabbath breaking. And you're going to see the same thing here. It's a pattern. Abominations build up, and then it comes to a rejection of the Sabbath. Now, let's look. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. He taught as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And there came a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and cried out, saying, Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you not come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Come out of him. They said, wow, he's commanding even the spirits to come out. Sabbath miracle number two, verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's wife's mother, wife's mother lay sick with fever, and they told him about her at once. And he came and took her up by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she served them. That's Sabbath miracle number two. Everybody knew this was kind of unusual. You shouldn't be doing that on Sabbath because look at verse 35. Um, or in, in, in verse 34, 33 and 34, 32 through 34, sorry. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all the sick who were demon-possessed and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. They kind of knew, wait a minute, you're going to get in trouble for this because you're doing it on the Sabbath day, not after sundown. How many of you are seeing this? Because there was all kinds of laws that have been added to supposedly protect the Sabbath. Now go, go to Mark, um, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. He entered the synagogue again. This is on the Sabbath. And a man was there with a withered hand. Luke 6, 6 says it's the right hand. And he watched him closely, whether he would heal him. They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. So he got away with two, but this is strike three. Don't heal on the Sabbath. That's not appropriate. And he said to the man who with the withered hand, step forward. And he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And his hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now look at that text. The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with who? 
the Herodians. Did the Pharisees and the Herodians hang out together? No. They hated each other. The Pharisees were pure bloods. They were the top 1%. They were the top, they were the cream of the crop. They were like the head of the seminary, you might say. They were like the, the scholars. And they were pure and they knew all of the laws about the laws about the laws even the laws and the laws See what i mean they were the ones who are pointed out in luke i mean rather matthew i'm kind of confused this morning matthew chapter 23 we just went through that chapter this is an interesting dynamic isn't it go to john chapter 9 matthew mark luke john John chapter 9, notice what it says. Now, Jesus passed by and he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born again? He said, Neither his parents nor he sinned, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. I must do the works of him who sent me while it's day, for the night is coming. So, what day was this, by the way? This was on the Sabbath day. So he takes his saliva and he puts it on his eyes and he says, go wash in the pool of Salome. And so he washed and he received his sight. And they said, well, who healed you? Verse 12. And he said, I do not know. <laughs> and then they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Verse 14, and now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They're talking about who? Jesus. And they're saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So why did he really get in trouble? Why had they been taken captive to Babylon? Because of abominations, but especially Sabbath breaking. And now they're accusing Jesus himself of the ultimate abomination, Sabbath breaking. They're accusing the Messiah, the creator and redeemer of Sabbath breaking. Now, how many think that's an abomination that's going to lead to some desolation? Now, <laughs> there are, by the way, seven Sabbath miracles that Jesus did. By the way, we never see his disciples doing miracles on the Sabbath in the book of Acts or following. They don't do that. Jesus did it to show his divinity and to make a big point that he was the one that sealed up the law that he was the God of the Sabbath. Did it take Jesus the same kind of work that it would take someone else to heal? No. He spoke the word. People were healed. He touched them. They were healed. He didn't have to set up a hospital or a clinic, put in a new parking lot for the patients. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to take down trees. No. He would just heal people. How many of you are with me? And now they're accusing him. Now I want to show you, I, I'm not going to go through the rest of the Sabbath miracles because I'm running out of time. But let me go here to the ones right next to our passage. Go back to now Matthew, I believe it is. Look in Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, 20, uh, yeah, 22 so looks good. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. This is verse 15, 22, 15. And they sent to him his disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know you are true. So now the Herodians are coming together with the Pharisees. Right? But then notice who else gets together with them. Verse 34. He would shut them down and all these things. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered all together. And you then have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. Who were the Herodians? Who did they follow? 
who was the ruler? Herod. And so they're called Herodians. They're Idumean. Herod was an Idumean. He was hated. What's an Idumean? Like an Edomite. An Edomite is, he was a mixture of Jewish blood and pagan blood. So he's like a half-breed. But now they're all coming together. So you have Herod, you have the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They didn't believe in resurrection. They believed just in the gold of the temple. They were all into. They were the ones wanting all that money because they believed this is it. This is all you get. So rip off the old ladies. Go to church with the reason for treason. This was them. The Pharisees hated them. They said, "Look at you, terrible liberals. You're just there for money. You just want to buy your BMWs and drive around your medical centers, and you don't really care. You're just there for the money because you don't really believe, right?" The Pharisees were like. The, the, the conservatives and the Sadducees were like the liberals. <laughs> One didn't, was apostate because they added extra rules and they were legalists. And one was apostate because they were ripping people off and didn't really believe. But they both really didn't believe. And they said, what are we going to do with this person who actually believes and comes in and he's like, he's like pure and he's like holy and he's like, he's doing everything according to the prophecies and things, and people like him, and we're going to lose our money, and we're going to lose our prideful positions. We've got to catch them doing something. And so they all came together and decided, after seven Sabbath miracles, that it was because of the Sabbath that he needed to die. They sought to kill him because of Sabbath, true Sabbath observance. And that, to do that, they brought together what? Church and state. Herod and the Sadducees and Pharisees. Church and state came together. And that was the abomination that caused desolation. Caiaphas and the others were right there in the holy place. Let the reader understand. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand. Standing in the holy place. Here they were, scribes and Pharisees, ministering in the holy place. So they killed Jesus. How many are beginning to understand this abomination of desolation thing? Can you see the dynamics in both groups? In the first thing we looked at, they were doing all these sins and they also didn't keep the Sabbath and so those were the abominations that led to desolation. Yes? And the second group, they had all kinds of laws or lack of laws and they were doing all these things to either get rich or to be proud. And when Jesus came, they rejected him specifically over what? The Sabbath. And they formed a image, you might say. <laughs> they passed laws illegally. The trial was completely illegal. And the high court and all the legislators of the land came together and they manipulated and cajoled until they had him killed, using the state power to kill the Savior. So then what happened? What happened after that? What did the prophecies say would happen? Go back to Daniel 9, and then let's just look at it. Daniel chapter 9, what would happen? <clears throat> Daniel 9, 26. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. In other words, by what they did with the Messiah, it led to a destruction of the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And then at the end of the next verse, on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured on the desolate. So what they did was going to lead to what? It was going to lead to the destruction of the temple. Did it happen right then? When Jesus died, the temple curtain was, was rent from top to bottom. How big was that curtain? How many people did it take to put up that curtain? 
it took 50 priests to put up the curtain, according to Josephus. 50 priests. That's not like a curtain that you have at your house. How many of you have a curtain like that at your house? No, it's like a wall. And that curtain was embroidered with gold. Angels were on it. And when Jesus died in Matthew 27, 51, about that era, 51 and 52, the temple was rent from top to bottom. Could not have been a human hand. And this was showing people, your house is left unto you desolate. Ichabod, the glory has departed. But he did not. He did not. You just read the chapter in Great Controversy, chapter 1. He did not then execute the full judgment. He wanted to give the kids a chance. And they saw all those different things. But they rejected him. And so what happened in A.D. 70? Titus comes and surrounds the city. What did he told them in Matthew chapter 24? When you see... Well, what does he say? Matthew chapter 24. Look, Go with me there and look at it. 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes, and those who are pregnant, and those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight not be in winter or on the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath still would be kept, even 40 years later. For there will be a great tribulation, such as has never been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days are shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So he says, look, it didn't happen right then, except the temple is rent. But it's going to be totally desecrated. What did Micah say? It's going to be razzed. And he says, when you see this, that's the little time of trouble. When you see that happen, okay, when you, say, when you see it happen, that's the time of trouble. Get out of the cities. Get out of the city. Leave. Don't even take anything. That's actually the time of trouble. Get out. By the way, God's people at the end of time are going to have the same kind of thing. They're going to have to get out. They've got to know when to get out. Can you see this here? Now, so what happens? What's the good news? Let's finish up with some good news. They didn't get out. Most of them didn't get out. And when Titus came, they agitated him. He tried to save their temple. You read all about this in Great Controversy chapter 1 because I'm running out of time. He tried to save their temple. But he agitated them. In fact, he came up personally and tried to save it. And they threw like darts at him and oil at the, at the soldiers. And they got so mad. That, and they thought, there's no way we can be destroyed because we're in the holy place. We're in the temple. One of the soldiers was so mad, he just he threw a firebrand over and there was oil all over and it all caught on fire. The tapestries caught on fire and everything went up in smoke. Everything burned and all the gold of that temple, which was all kinds of gold, it melted and went down between all those huge rocks and those huge rocks were like 40 feet wide by 80 feet long by 40 feet thick. They were huge. No one could move any of those. But because the gold went down there, people find a way to get the gold. And ultimately, not one stone was left on top of the other. And it was desolate. But let's end with some good news. There were people, Jews, that accepted Jesus. Don't ever say the Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews accepted Jesus. You can say that equally well. Without acceptance by Jews, there would be no Judeo-Christian faith. The Jews accepted Jesus that saw what he was doing. They said, look, when we see that abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand. We're fleeing. Look at Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 as we close up this morning. Luke 21. Notice what it says. Luke chapter 21 Verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation is near. Remember it says desolations. So there's those phases of this, aren't there? Your house is left unto you desolate. Then, more and more, isn't God merciful? 
Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant. And those who are nursing babies in those days. For the great distress of land and wrath. They will fall by the edge of the sword. And be led away captive. And all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What happened to Christ outside the gate in Jerusalem? He was crucified for you and me. And the group that accepted that, and the group that accepted what Jesus had done, they followed his word. And when they saw the Roman armies come around, they fled. Titus pulled back. He was right around Jerusalem, and he pulled back for three years. <laughs> and, or, or, or Cestus was the general, and he pulled back. Titus came to finish the job. He pulls back. And they saw that, and they said, we got to go. They didn't go get anything. They left. Because they believed Jesus and they were ready to go. Let me ask you the question. Are you ready to leave everything you have for Jesus? Because this type that we see here is the same thing that's going to happen at the end of time. Say, wait a minute. I've got a good job. Are you ready to leave it in an instant? Wait a minute. I have a nice house. Are you ready to leave it in an instant? These people did that. And they went to a place called Pella. And they were saved. And those are the people that are the forebears of the faithful down to this time. How many would be like those who are ready to leave at a moment's notice? When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Escape! Get out! And they did that. The ones who didn't, guess what happened to them? They were crucified just like Jesus was. In fact, there were so many crosses around Jerusalem, you couldn't even walk between them as the Romans tried to scare all the people still inside the city. And once the city fell, they took the remaining Jews, about a million of them, and they crucified them all the way along the road to Rome, all the way from Jerusalem to Rome along the Appian Way, a a crucifix, a cross, all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And then Titus brought his triumph into Rome. You can go there. If you go with me on the Reformation tour, I show you this on day two. And there's Titus's arch, actually day one. And there is his arch set up. And there were crosses all the way up to it of the people that did not accept the Christ and his cross and so died on their own cross all the way to Rome. How many want to accept Christ and his cross? How many of you want to say, Jesus, I've been involved in abominations. I know it's going to cause my desolation, but I'm through with that. I want you to come into my life. I want to have such an experience with you that I'd be willing to leave whatever I'm doing like that when I see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. How many want to have that kind of experience? Let me tell you, you're going to have to have that kind of experience if you're living at the end time because we've now covered the second installment of the abominations of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, but there's two others, and guess what they're related to? The end of time when the same scenario repeats itself again. How many of you want to understand the Sabbath more fully? Because the contention that led to Christ's death was over the Sabbath. And guess what the contention at the end of time will be over? God's law, but specifically the Sabbath. Let's pray together as we close today. Father in heaven, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet strikes very near to our own lives and where we are in the journey. We don't want to be like the scribes, like the Sadducees, like the Pharisees, like the Herodians. We want to have 
a true experience with you where we're allowing you to transform us. We're not just preaching about you and about your gospel, but our lives are a true witness. Help that to be the reality in our hearts and minds, we pray. In Christ's name, amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.